You are listening to a Whitebridge Baptist Church sermon podcast. Amen. Thank you, Pastor Terry. I always wanted to say that. <laughs> How good it has been to hear from these brothers and to, to be able to be aware of what God's up to. And, and uh, I believe in these providential meetings. I believe in the sovereignty of God. And there's a reason why they're here today. There's a reason why you're here today. And uh, some of you need to go and talk to these brothers afterwards in the church foyer. So please do that after before you take off. Let's pray together. Father, we're so grateful for the privilege of uh, worshiping you this morning. Lord, when we come together, when, when we're reminded of the essence of the gospel, setting people free. Oh, Jesus, we thank you for the privilege of being together today. We needed this. Some of us needed this, Lord. We, we come together and we're, we're bolstered in faith. Lord, we can so easily get our eyes off of you, the perfecter of our faith, the author and the finisher of our faith. Lord, the one who began the good work in us and is going to carry it on to completion. Lord, we give you the praise today. We're reminded as we hear of transformed lives that you're doing that thing as well in our lives. And so we refresh our faith today. We re- renew our focus, Lord Jesus, it's on you. And we ask you, Lord, to bless the ministry of Teen Challenge and bless all the, the points of why they're here today, all the, the relationships that will begin today. Thank you for this time together. Open up your word to us and open up our hearts to your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Take your Bibles and turn to the book of Acts, please. Acts chapter 16. We're in a a series, uh, starting a series in Philippians next week. You'll notice on your bulletin cover that it says, being confident of this, the first words of chapter 1, verse 6 in Philippians, and then the next words start over here, he who began a good work up at the front on the uh, bulletin or the banners, and then we'll carry it on to completion. And uh, what a testimony that Teen Challenge has been of that this morning. Acts chapter 16, today we're going to just sort of introduce ourselves to, to uh, how it is that God got the gospel of his son Jesus Christ to the place called Philippi. And um, it's interesting because uh, God had to close a whole bunch of doors and he had to open some doors to make it happen. What, think, what do you think of when I say this? When God closes a door, how do you want to finish that sentence? Okay. <laughs> you weren't as, as united as the first service. They all said in unison, he opens a window. It's like that's scriptural or something. I don't know what happened. But everybody knows that. But... Uh, you guys weren't quite on it today, but uh, you know, the thing that's interesting is that the language of God closing and opening doors is incredibly biblical. And uh, in fact, as we are going to share this morning, the Apostle Paul is the guy that writes mostly about that very thing. When God opens a door, I'm calling my message. And so this morning, as we look at it, we're going to see how the gospel got to the place Philippi, which was named after the father of Alexander the Great, Philip of uh, Macedon, and uh, how the church got planted there. We're going to see how that indeed is the very first church plant of Europe, and how did God take it there. 
It's an incredible thing. Have you ever had the experience? Just take a minute to look at your life. Have you ever had the experience where God has been clearly directing you and he did it by closing off certain pathways and doors and opening up other pathways and doors? I was talking to Pat the other day about how I could illustrate this and she immediately said that when we were finishing our ministry at First Baptist Church in Thunder Bay, God was opening up our hearts. We felt like we were being called into some kind of missions kind of focus. And at that very time, at the end of our ministry in Thunder Bay, at that very time, in the city of Thunder Bay, the parents of Brian Dunn lived, and they had served in North India in a school called Woodstock School, an international Christian school. And at that very same time, they had in the city, visiting them for a week, a board member from that school and they were talking to him about the needs of the different staff positions. And they, they were talking about me to him. And they insisted that we come and meet him. And, and I, I want you to know that the position that we went over and they heard, we heard about was a chaplain for a K-12 international Christian school in North India, in the city of Missouri. And I want you to know that there was nothing in me that was in, akin to that. Nothing in me that said, whoa, I want to do that. I mean, that was terrifying, you know, actually. And yet we felt that the, the God was opening a door maybe. There's providence at stake here. And so we went and visited. He actually convinced me to apply. I sent my application off to North India. And then God closed the door by 9-11 happening. And, and every position was going to be filled internally. And I said, thank you, Lord. You know? And it wasn't a month or so later when God then opened another door and it led to Bolivia, where we spent seven years in the ministry. Sometimes you see God does that. God opens doors by closing other doors. And sometimes it's a, it's a providential thing. I couldn't do anything about that. God just worked. Other times it's this inner peace that you got to settle for and God seeks you that way. When, I, when we were at the end of our time in Bolivia and we were feeling that we're God, God was calling us for various reasons back to, to Canada and Winnipeg, uh, there was only one application I put in and it was for White Ridge Baptist Church. I remember Pat saying to me, don't you have a plan B? And, and, and only out of kind of a, a unbelief, I think, at the end of, in the summer when we were back in Canada and White Ridge was dragging their heels on the process, um, <laughs> then I sort of responded to a church and we came in, we visited, and I said to them afterwards, I said, you know, I, I, I love your ministry, but I got to just tell you, I can't say anything to you until I finish this deal. And God opened the door to White Ridge. You see, how is it that God does that? I mean, there is objective ways and there's subjective ways. Open your Bibles, Acts chapter 16. We see how God began to lead the Apostle Paul and his companions. We'll begin reading in verse 6. We see already that at the end of chapter 15, Paul and Barnabas have had a falling out. They go in different directions. In chapter 16, we see that the church in Antioch has set apart Paul and Silas for the second missionary journey. Along the way, they pick up Timothy, this young convert, and, and he joins the forces. And in chapter 16, verse 6, would you stand with me as we listen to God's word? Paul and his companions traveled throughout the region of Phrygia and Galatia, and having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in the province of Asia. When they came to the border of Mysia, they tried to enter Bithynia, 
that the Spirit of Jesus would not allow them to. So they passed by my sea and went down to Troas. And during the night, Paul had a vision of a man of Macedonia standing and begging him, come over to Macedonia and help us. And after Paul had seen the vision, we got ready at once to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. From Troas, we put out to sea and sailed straight for Samothrace, and the next day on to Neapolis. And from there, we traveled to Philippi, a Roman colony in the leading city of that district of Macedonia. And we stayed there several days. On the Sabbath, we went outside the city gate, the river, where we... uh, where we expected to find a place of prayer. We sat down and began to speak to the women who had gathered there. And one of those listening was a woman named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth from the city of Thyatira, who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. And when she and the members of her household were baptized, she invited us to her home. If you consider me a believer in the Lord, she said, come and stay at my house. And she persuaded us. May God bless his word. You may be seated. You'll notice in the insert in your bulletin, the pink piece of paper, there's four things I'd like to say this morning about how God directs us, and they're entitled, When God Opens a Door. And the first thing is that when God opens a door, he usually closes other doors. And so if we look at how it is that God directed uh, the the show in in, uh, Paul's second missionary journey, I want you to just take a note, take note of the map that's up here on the screen. You'll see that Antioch, the church that sends them out, is in the northeast corner of the Mediterranean Sea. You see that they go through Syria and Cilicia, and they are ministering along the way. They pick up Timothy, and they head west, you see. They're going to head 400 miles west, but they stop. They, they visit Lystra and Derby. They want to head south in here, but it says that being kept by the Holy Spirit from actually going down into some of the former churches that they visited on the first missionary journey. There's Ephesus and others. They're kept from the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit from going down there. So then they try to go north, and they try to go up to Bithynia, Phrygia, up to Black Sea in that area. But, but the Spirit of Jesus would not permit them to go, it says in the Bible. And so they can't go north, they can't go south, they can't go back because they've already come from there. Where do they go? Well, they head west. And they keep going as far as their feet will take them, and they end up at the port city of Troas, which is the very edge of Asia. And if you go further, you're going to go by boat, and you're going to enter Europe. And so, by God's grace, all the doors that are closed finally lead to a door that is opened. Paul has a vision of a man of Macedonia, a Greek-speaking Gentile person in this dream, in this vision, and he's saying, come and help us. And so God... And Paul, or Paul concludes that God is calling them to continue on and to go across the Aegean Sea right there and to end up at Philippi. That's how the church in Philippi is planted. And uh, that's the way God works. God will close doors in order to open other doors. You know, it, it's a fascinating language that we read here. The word kept by the Holy Spirit, verse 6 is the same word, it's the word forbidden, actually. It's a very strong word. In, in Luke 18, Jesus says, Suffer the little children to come to me, and forbid them not. That's the word that's used here. The, the Holy Spirit forbade them to go south into the other churches in Asia Minor. And then the next verse, verse 7, entering Bithynia, the Spirit of Jesus would not allow them 
The word is to permit or to not permit. 1 Corinthians 10.13, the same word is used when Paul says, No temptation has seized you except what is common to man. And God is faithful. He will not permit you to be tempted beyond what you can bear, but along with it will give, give a way of escape. You see, there, there's a strong directional language the Holy Spirit is leading. How did, they, how did they discern the Holy Spirit kept them or permitted this or forbade that? Was it something outward? Was it something inward? I don't know. We aren't told in the Bible how it is that the Holy Spirit did that. There's an old book by the name of The Christian Secret of a Happy Life, kind of corny title, written in 1870 by a woman named Hannah Whittle Smith. And in this book, she describes in one chapter how it is that God shows us his leading and his will. She says there are four primary ways that that God leads us. And I, as I read the, the chapter again, or this past week, I was thinking it's kind of like if you're, if you're a pilot and you're landing a plane at night, sometimes the, the airport runway lights are just exactly lined up so that the, the pilot knows that his trajectory of approach is exactly right when all the lights are lined up. That's kind of the way she writes about discerning God's leading. She says this, she says, There are four ways in which God reveals his will to us. Number one, through the scriptures. Number two, through providential circumstances. Number three, through the conviction of our own higher judgments. And number four, through the inward impressions of the Holy Spirit on our minds. Where these four harmonize, it is safe to say, God is speaking. And as I thought about that, I was thinking there's two very objective means by which God reveals his will, and two very subjective means. And depending on the tradition and the discipleship and the church background that you grew up with, you're going to be uncomfortable with one of those sides over the other side. I grew up in a Baptist kind of tradition, and uh, we were pounded in the scriptures and, and God's sovereignty and providence and all that, but I wasn't taught much about how the Holy Spirit leads through inward impressions. I mean, I, I might have been run out of town in my early church days if, if I'd have started talking that way. You, wanna, you might want to go visit the other church down the road. But you might have grown up in a church that actually leaned so heavily on the subjective leanings that you, you need to maybe open up your life more to the way that God leads through Scripture and providence and so on. The point is, is that God leads, in, 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 and it's not, we're not able to put it in a, a little package that says it's, it's one or the other. It's both. Because I don't open up my Bible and, and find a verse that says, Terry, Pat, go to Bolivia. It didn't, didn't come about that way, you see. There's a subjective element to discerning the leading of God. When is God closing a door? When is God opening a door? And so in this first point, I want to just clarify. God is always going to be closing some doors in order to open something for you. And you can trust him in his time, in his way. He's going to open one. Secondly, when God opens a door, it is usually accompanied by his people praying. Boy, did we ever hear about that this morning. Every man that stood on the stage here was an answer to prayer. God opened the heart's doors of these men because God had some people praying for them. Notice that Paul and his companions on in chapter 16, verse 13, are looking for a place to pray in this Gentile city. Their normal practice in their first missionary journey was to go right to the synagogue and hang out with all the God-fearers. Well, there is no synagogue in Philippi. So where do they go? Well, they go finding a place of prayer. 
they end up near the river. And there they meet up with Lydia. Paul emphasizes prayer in his ministry so much. Colossians chapter 4, 3. Paul writes, devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful, and pray for us too, that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. Romans 1.10, Paul writes, I remember you in my prayers at all times, and I pray that now at last by God's will, the way may be opened for me to come to you. And so we could read passage after passage that tells of how God is, God is going to open doors, but it's an incredible mystery, and I say it, mystery how praying people and sovereign God fit together. It's a mystery how that works, but they fit together so that whenever God is opening doors, usually there's somebody praying. It's a mystery. Don't lose hope, you who are praying For loved ones, don't lose sight of that. In the past year, we've sensed and seen an increased longing for prayer in our church family. We felt the need to emphasize it more on Sunday mornings. We felt the need to have it in midweek. We felt the need to emphasize it with growth groups, discipleship groups, life groups. And I believe that God's getting us ready for something. We've talked about the McGillivray property and, and the possibility of building in the next few years. And God's got people praying about that. It's on our hearts now. And we have to press into God. But the only reason that God's ever going to move us is if there's a new door to ministry that's opening up. That's why he does these things. Because otherwise, he's not interested in opening doors. That leads us to our third point. And the third point is that when God opens a door, it leads people whose hearts are going to open to him. You see, God, don't, don't use this language. Don't spiritualize your context. Don't try to press your will over your circumstances and say, well, God closed that door or God opened that door. And really, it's just your stubborn will and your desires that's closing or opening doors. Don't do that. The point is, and and you can test yourself in this, the point is that whenever God closes or opens doors, it's going to lead to people whose hearts are open to Jesus Christ. In other words, he's going to lead you into a relationship that is going to be used for you to be a kingdom spreader, a a God-glorifying Christian that is going to voice the kingdom, the, the gospel in some way. You're going to befriend somebody in that new place, that new work, that new school, whatever it is. God's not going to just open doors to let you have a nice little cozy life, retirement, whatever. God's going to open doors so that hearts will be opened. That's what he does here. Take a look how it happens in, in this passage, chapter 16 and verse 14. Talking about Lydia, this woman, the Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. See, that's why God opens doors of ministry, because he opens hearts. That's what what it's all about. In the first missionary journey, we see how, we, we don't have time to look at it, but in chapters 13 and 14, the Church of Antioch sends off Paul and Barnabas, praying for them. They come back at the end. Chapter 14, verse 27 says, On arriving back, they gathered the church together and they reported all that God had done through them and how he had opened the door of faith to the Gentiles. You see, you see God's people were praying and doors were opened of faith that the Gentile peoples were responding. 
And it's interesting because, you see, they needed to know that the Gentile peoples were responding in order to get ready for the second missionary journey where Philippi is because they were going to mostly encounter Gentile peoples in Europe. And God was preparing them for that. That's another point that we can learn from this is that any door that God is closing for you now in your life, any door that God is opening for you now in your life is absolutely preparation for a future door that he's going to open for your life that is going to lead to someone responding in faith. You can trust him on that. You can bank on it. That's the, that's the currency of faith. That's how God works. And you can count on it. He wants to use your life. Don't waste it. He wants to use your life. And so God opens hearts as we, as we journey along. Notice uh, before we move on to the fourth point that as soon as God opens Lydia's heart, she opens her home. Isn't that interesting? Verse 15, she is earnest that Paul and his companions have to go and, and be at her home with her family. You know, it's, it's interesting. When God gets a hold of your heart, everything that is dear to you Everything that is dear to you is is available for him. So your time and your money and your car and your your house and and, and everything about you, you're saying, God, just do it. I'm available. I'm I'm yours. That's what one of the brothers in the first service shared a testimony about from Teen Challenge. Fourthly, when God opens the door, it leads to the kind of opposition that advances the gospel. The first time that Paul shares the gospel in Philippi, a woman responds and there's no, there's no opposition, there's no suffering, there's no problem. Lydia comes to know the Lord. She says, come on over, let's have a party, let's eat. And it's wonderful. And Paul and his companions, young Timothy, who's on his first missionary journey, is thinking, I like this thing called Christian faith and missionaries. I like this, it's fun. And then the second time Paul preaches the gospel, it's not so good. Because we don't have time to read it, but if you go on in chapter 16, the second time that he's sharing, he's actually confronting a a demonized girl who is harassing Paul and his companions. And she's a fortune teller, and her masters are making money off of her. And Paul turns to her and just rebukes the evil spirit. She is cleansed and healed and becomes a follower of Jesus. And now... Paul, Paul is facing incredible opposition because the owners of this girl slave take him to court. And, they, and, and the city comes down on him. Pretty soon that evening, Paul and Silas are in chains in jail, and they're facing huge suffering opposition. You'd think that they would respond by saying, oh, maybe we shouldn't have come to Philippi. Maybe this was all a big mistake. What's this vision you had, Paul? I mean, come on. How do you know he was from Macedonia? Maybe it was from somewhere else. But instead, what did Paul and Silas do? At midnight, they're praising God. They're worshiping. They're singing hymns. And they're praying. And God, in the middle of that worship service, does something incredibly. He sends an earthquake that opens the prison doors. Sets the captives free. But they don't want to go free. Paul and Silas, instead of running out the door, they stay put. And the jailer comes running in and he's figuring, I've lost my job, I'm going to lose my life, all the prisoners are gone. He's getting ready to kill himself. But Paul says, no, don't harm yourself, we're all here. And that very evening, the jailer and his whole family come to know Jesus. And what do they do? They invite Paul over to their home. Isn't that interesting? Open heart, open home. 
And then you'd think, okay, well, now, now can we go, Paul? I can just see Silas and Timothy. Can we get out of here now? What do you mean? And Paul's saying, we're Roman citizens. They brought us here with, no, with false pretense. They're going to come and get us. He's waiting for an audience. The magistrates come to the prison and usher Paul and his companions out, and they have a chance to share the gospel with the magistrates. You see, the thing is that you and I would think that when we face opposition, when we face suffering, that somehow an open door for ministry and suffering are mutually inexclusive. That, that doesn't happen together. They don't coexist. Well, maybe God isn't opening this door. What? The fact is that, man, God will often open doors that will lead to opposition and to suffering. You poke your, high in the, uh, your, your finger in the devil's eye and he's not going to respond well. Next week, we'll be studying Philippians chapter 1. Listen to verse 12. Paul writing 10 years after he had visited Philippi. He's in Rome. He's in a prison. And he says, Now I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. And because of my chains, most of the brothers in the Lord have been encouraged to speak the word of God more courageously and fearlessly. You see, Paul's not shying away from opposition and suffering. Paul's saying, I know that this is advancing the gospel. And I embrace these open doors. I want to encourage you. Some of the doors that you will have open to you by God's grace are going to lead to suffering. And they're going to lead to opposition and they're going to lead to conflict. Don't think that that, by its conclusion, is somehow missing the voice of God. God has his ways of refining his people. 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 8. Again, Paul. Everything I've been quoting today is Paul, by the way. All these open and closed doors. That's how he operated. Chapter 16, Corinthians uh, and verse 8. But I will stay on. This is a third missionary journey. I will stay on at Ephesus until Pentecost because, here he says it, a great door for effective work has opened for me there. And we're thinking, way to go, Paul. Great door for effective work. But this is how he finishes the sentence. And there are many who oppose me. <laughs> Sounds like a glutton for punishment or something, eh? There are many who oppose me. You see, that's often the way that the gospel and the spirit of Jesus is going to be received in this society, in our friendships, in our families. Just because we face opposition doesn't mean that there's some door opening and God wants us to walk through it by faith and count on him. Second Corinthians chapter 2, verse 12, Paul writes, third missionary journey, he says, Now I went, when I went to Troas to preach the gospel of Christ, this is the second time he went to Troas, he says, I found that the Lord had opened a door for me, and yet I had no peace of mind because I did not find my brother Titus there. Over and over again, an open door and, and inner struggles or outer struggles, they sometimes go together. I want to get the worship team to come, and as they come, I'm going to ask you, what, what is it that the Holy Spirit is saying to you this morning? What is the message that he's been impressing on your mind? Are you struggling to know what doors God is opening, what doors God is closing for you? Are you wondering how the Holy Spirit means to apply this to you? Some of you are in the waiting game. 
I want, I want to pray that God will help you be encouraged. Trust him. Trust him with your life. Stay close to him in prayer and in his word. Listen attentively. Anticipate. Sensitize your life to him. And uh, somebody's praying for you right now. And somebody's going to open up a door for you soon. But God wants you to be postured in faith, ready to respond. God bless you.